My name is Dan. I'm one of the leaders here, and I'm excited to open God's Word. We're in Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. Does anybody know who uh, Thomas Kistler is? Does that name ring a bell for anybody? Right? I don't know about you guys, but when I hear a name that I don't know, and I don't know him, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Thomas Kistler is the president judge of the state of Pennsylvania. President judge. I bet half of you are like, oh, I'll have to look that up later. So I want you to imagine something. You've committed a terrible crime, and uh, it's the day of your verdict, and the gavel comes down by the hand of Judge Thomas Kistler, and the verdict is guilty. And you're in your shackles, and you look up at the judge and you say, I don't know you. Does it matter if you know who Thomas Kistler is? Does it matter if you subscribe to the belief that he is judge? No, it does not. Because he has objective authority. The title of judge is objective. But here's the point. You will do, you will do well to acknowledge who he is. You will do well. You can't change whether or not he is. You will do well to acknowledge who he is. On a small scale, this is everybody before the Lord. This is everybody in your family. This is everybody at this church. This is everybody at the restaurant after church. This is everybody at the grocery store. This is everybody in Pennsylvania. This is everyone in America, including the presidential candidate, you're worried might be elected. And uh, this is everybody in the world. They're all under one judge, and it is not Thomas Kistler. It is the Lord. Of course, it's, it's always been that way throughout history, if you understand the Bible. You know that near the beginning of that history, long before Jesus was born, God's people were captive in Egypt, and God was preparing to rescue them by the hand of Moses and from the hand of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, like this opening illustration, had no regard for God. And he asked this question, Who is God that I should obey his voice? And this week, Pharaoh will meet God but he'll meet him through judgment. Specifically, the beginning of plague after plague after plague that is eventually going to destroy Egypt, that is going to destroy Pharaoh's family, that is going to destroy uh, Pharaoh's people and free God's people. All while Pharaoh's heart just gets harder and harder to God as he says, I do not know you. In other words, though Pharaoh has no regard for the judge... The judge is still judge, and he has come to judge. He's judge over all the false gods of Egypt, and he's judge over the world. So this week in Exodus 7, the Lord is going to show Pharaoh, and he's going to show us three things. The Lord is going to show that he gives judgment to show that he is the Lord. You don't have to write it down, it's your outline. That he takes away judgment to show he's the Lord. 
And that he is judge, even though not everybody admits it. But first, and as a bit of a cosmic spoiler, before we look into all these plagues, the Lord is going to show us readers that he is judge even over a greater foe, Satan. And that's point one. That's going to be verses 8 through 13 of chapter 7. So I'll read that. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it might become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's established as a bit of a skeptic. We kind of know that already. But it's stated again in verse 9, by God to Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh seems to want proof. If you prove it to me, okay. And so Moses and Aaron give that proof in verse 10 by performing a miracle. They turn a staff into a snake. But Pharaoh's people, his magicians, they come in and they do the same by their secret arts. Secret arts. And at this point, things might seem like a bit of a magic show to the Western citizen, right? Anybody expecting that to happen? Because we, um, we don't see stuff like this every day, do we? But I want you to bear with Moses here, because what's happening deep down, once you get past all the stuff that might kind of initially freak you out, is that Pharaoh is trusting in the ability of his friends. That's really what's happening. And it looks like Moses has no more power than they do, right? But then something amazing happens. Look at verse 12. Moses' snake swallows up theirs. In other words, the playing field isn't really as level as Pharaoh would have thought. You can imagine the snakes are kind of slithering around and Pharaoh's kind of smiling and then the one just eats it and then Pharaoh's smile kind of fades. Maybe he looks a little bit uh, embarrassed. I don't know. What I do know is, from his perspective, he's been one-upped by a withered old guy with a speech impediment. But it's actually worse than that. That's from his perspective. What's actually happened is the mightiest man on earth, that's Pharaoh, and the mightiest land in the earth, that's Egypt, and his magicians aren't the most powerful. That honor belongs to this Lord. In other words, the power of Egypt, and I might add the power of darkness, these secret arts, are no match for the Lord. And so we get kind of a cosmic preview of the Lord defeating the darkness, the serpent, if you will, of Genesis 3, swallowing him up. It's a reminder, I think, that these plagues in Egypt are amazing, but they are a shadow of something so much more. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he misses the sign. He does not see the miracle. 
And Moses and Aaron, we assume, are thrown out. And the plagues begin. So how does this apply to us? Well, I think like Pharaoh, we shouldn't miss the big picture. Don't get so caught up in the wonders, I I dare say, the wonders of, of lesser miracles. The miracles that you might see every day. You pray, the Lord answers it. You celebrate, life soon fades back to normal. They're a shadow of something more. The greatest miracle when God would actually defeat the serpent and rescue his people. Praise God for miracles like this. Yes, but be sure that the miracle of the gospel is what has your full attention. There's something I want to draw your attention to before we move on. These plagues that we're about to talk about, they're numerous. They're so numerous we won't get them all this week or next week. These plagues are detailed and numerous, and so I want to help you keep the big picture in mind. The next three sermons in this series, or I should say including this one, are going to divide the plagues into cycles. So there's three plagues this week, three plagues next week, three plagues after that. Because God is revealing something, and he's revealing something specific to Pharaoh in each one. He's saying something. And in this first cycle, if you haven't already caught it, God is saying this. He is judge. Judgments come from him. He is the judge. Not Pharaoh, not the false gods of Egypt. So look for that all throughout this week. Okay, the first plague, the Nile turns into blood. That's point two in your outline. I'll read verses 14 to 25. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the brink of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that's in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and that there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And all the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So I'll try to break this up into small sections. Does not get too distracted by all the details here. First, I want to say, what does the Lord say here? 
Because this, this is really about a dialogue between the Lord and Pharaoh. Well, I'll just hit the highlights. Look at verse 15. The Lord says, go to Pharaoh in the morning. Verse 16, tell Pharaoh to let people, God's people go. You haven't obeyed. Do that. Verse 17, and this one is key. By this, you shall know that I am the Lord, and that this is the plague. So Moses and Aaron bring about the plague so that Pharaoh would know that the Lord is the Lord. And the, water, and the plague is water turned into blood. In other words, no water, or I should say very little water. People are digging around the banks trying to find just a little bit of moisture. Could you imagine how fast that would change your day if that happened? No water? How quickly would you cave in? What's Pharaoh's response? Well, first, something that happens is these magicians, they do the same thing. Perhaps there's little bits of remnants of water and they kind of go over there and they say, hey, we can do this too. Which really, if you're a citizen of Egypt, how is this helpful? It's like magicians, if you want to win me, can you maybe turn the blood back into water? But they don't do that. I actually think they can't do that. But that's beside the point. The point is they don't. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And we read in verse 25 that seven days pass. Who knows how many animals and people die besides all the fish? Pharaoh just sits there while his people suffer. So what is God saying here? It's a title of point two. The Lord gives judgment to show he's the Lord. And in verse 17... That's what we see. That's all. He is showing he is the Lord over Pharaoh by bringing suffering to a sinful people, in this case, Pharaoh. Now, how does this apply to us? Because I don't know about you, but I, I feel like i got a good amount of water. How does this apply to us? Let's try to step back. Know that God gives judgment to show his identity. And when I say judgment, what I mean is suffering. I don't mean necessarily, you did this sin and so this thing happens. I mean, original sin. When suffering happens to you or to the world, it points back to that. Every amount of suffering in the world happens because of sin. When suffering happens, it's not to threaten your belief that God is God. It's actually to reinforce that. How many times do we forget this, though? When suffering comes, it is not to threaten your belief that God is God. It is to reinforce it. It's all by the hand of the judge who's over us. And so, I might add, this is not license for any of us to say or think things like, Hurricane Katrina happened because New Orleans was sinful. Could that be why? Perhaps. I don't know. I don't know everybody there. No, our right response is not to stand back, as Pharaoh does, and scoff 
as people die, is to kneel down and worship God for who He is. So when we see tragedy, our response is not, look at those people over there suffering. It's, wow, God is judge. God is judge. Let's worship Him. He is God and He is judge. And so the plagues continue. Point three, the Lord takes away judgment to show He is the Lord. Verses 1 through 15 of chapter 8. This one's fun. We're going to talk about frogs. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that he might serve me, that they might serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and your bedroom and your, on your bed and into the houses and of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up onto you and your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs for me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you might know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frog died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. I want to pause now and explain this plague because most people might read this and say, Frogs? Really? But each of these plagues is also a statement against the false gods of Egypt that the people worshipped. It was true the first plague, but I didn't call attention to that. I'll do it here because I think it's actually pretty important. See, one of the gods the Egyptians worshipped, one of the false gods, was named Hecate. It was the goddess of fertility, and it was represented by a frog. Why frogs? Why indeed? Because when the Nile filled during the fertile season, there would be a lot of frogs. It was a symbol of life to a nation that was powerful because it had a lot of water. And that sets the table a little bit here. I think it explains why the Lord says what he does right here during the plague. What does the Lord say? Look at verses 1 and 2. God repeats the command and gives this consequence. And he sends frogs. And in a sense, here's what I think is being said. You want to worship fertility? 
Okay, I'll give you so much fertility, it'll kill you. He is showing Egypt and Pharaoh, number one, that they have zero control. And number two, that the thing they worship is actually going to kill them. He is showing Egypt and Pharaoh that the frog is a false god by literally crushing the land with frogs. It's just nasty. There's no fertility in your false god. Your false god dies like the rest of them. But all that is to set the table here because I think the real twist happens in Pharaoh's response and what Moses and God actually do. What does Pharaoh do? Well, he seems to take notice this time, doesn't he? Some of you might look at that and think, oh, we're getting to the heart. Not really. Might look that way. Again, in verse 7, Pharaoh's buddies do the same thing. They're adding plagues, not helping. Not helping. But Pharaoh seems different this time. In verse 8, he says, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs, and I'll let the people go. God, if you take away this pain, I'll worship you. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you said that? And Moses, I think, says, says something pretty shocking here. He says, okay. Okay. It'll happen as you say, so that you might know there's no one like our God. And then Moses pleads with the Lord. Yet he leaves, Pharaoh's not there. He doesn't have to. He does. They know his heart isn't going to change. And that's exactly what happens in verse 15. Pharaoh changes his mind when he sees respite or relief. In other words, when the judgment is taken away, he just goes back to how he was. And as hard as hard, no progress has been made. So what's the Lord saying here? It's the title of point three. The Lord takes away judgment to show he is the Lord. What could the magicians do? They could add frogs. Could they remove them? Perhaps one by one. But not like this. Only God gives respite and yet Pharaoh is not changed. How does this apply to us? How does this not apply to us? Know that God takes away judgment to show his identity. In other words, when God has mercy to you, mercy on you, it's to bring glory to him and not to you. Do you not know that God's kindness is meant for your repentance? Is how they would say it in the New Testament. I remember once I prayed a, a specific prayer and God literally did the thing that I prayed for that day. Guess when I thanked him? A few days later when I remembered. A few days went by and then I thought, oh yeah, God did that. Thanks. And in most cases, when that happens... Where do we find ourselves? But usually right back, falling into the same sin patterns, if it's sin related. We plead to God to take away the pain, but our hearts do not change. And the crazy thing is, is that Moses pleads, and the Lord takes away the suffering, even for a moment, to people who do not deserve it. I'm going to just boil this down to a simple statement. If you want to see what somebody really thinks of God, don't simply watch what they do when they suffer. 
Watch what they do when relief comes for a moment. See if they change. Does the person change? To put it simply, when the judge's gavel comes down and you're spared, the glory goes to the judge. And that brings us to our last point. Point four, the Lord is judged, though not everyone admits it. Point four, I'll read verses 16 through 19. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the lands of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. If you're getting sick of the word hardened, just just wait. You're going to keep hearing it. So something different happens this time for this, this third plague. What does God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh? Nothing. There's no meeting. There's no question for Pharaoh. There's no, Pharaoh, if you do this, I'll do this. No, he just sends the plague. And uh, notice that um, Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. And even this time, the magicians not only can't provide relief, they never could do that, but now they can't even duplicate the problem. Even they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They see that the Lord is judge, but Pharaoh does not. As a quick note, just consider what's happening here. Just consider the scene. Consider how messed up Pharaoh is. There's people, animals all around him dying And he's just holding on to whatever he's holding on to. And now his magicians, who are so dark that they are performing, as far as I can tell, satanic rituals to help him, even they know when to stop. But he doesn't. Pharaoh's in the courtroom and he's looking up at the judge and he's saying, I don't know you. You have no power over me. I don't subscribe to your authority. Think that's going to change things? Nope. It's going to make things worse and worse, plague after plague, and even God's people, even after this rescue, God's people are going to say stuff like this to Moses. Who's the Lord? You know what? God knew that it was going to play out like that from beginning to end. So I want to pause and make a big picture gospel connection here before we consider the last application. Because here's what the judge did. Here's the big picture. God gave judgment to the world for sin. In other words, that's all the pain that you have ever felt physically and mentally and spiritually, whether it's self-inflicted or whether it's inflicted by someone to you or by you to someone. That's all the pain. That's sin. God judged the world to show how bad sin really is. 
And man was separated from God, and nothing we do fixes that, no matter how secret our arts, no matter what we do. We cannot heal as God does. So God, the judge, did this. Here's what the judge did. He took away that judgment from his people and he put it on Christ in order to save them. That's points one and two, right? He just summed up points one and two. God did all that to show one thing. He is the Lord. He gave judgment and he took it away. All to bring glory to himself, not to us. So with that in mind, how does this apply? Well, I think we've already established that we should trust the Lord. So for this last application, I want to pause and say, we can trust the Lord as judge, though not everyone will admit it. Trust the Lord as judge, though not everyone will admit it. In other words, one day, everybody in your family... Everybody at this church, everybody in the restaurant after this church, everybody in the grocery store, everybody in Pennsylvania, everyone in America, and the president, whoever he or she is, everyone in the world is going to stand before one judge. And it will not be Thomas Kinsler. It'll be God. Remember that. Then out of your own exoneration... Knowing that you have been freed, share graciously, like Moses, plead with people to throw themselves on the mercy of God, as Moses did. But do not lose sleep if they say no. Do not lose sleep if their hearts are hardened. You are not responsible for their standing before the Lord. You're not even responsible for your own standing before the Lord. That's Jesus. Because of Christ, you can sleep well in your own position before the Lord. And you can plead with people. But just as the Lord saved you outside of your control, He drew you to Him. And He changed you. So He changes some, but not others. And that's hard. When you have a family, that's hard. When you have friends that you love... It's hard. But because of Christ, you can sleep well, even during things like this, even during plagues, even during hardships, because of the spoiler that Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. That's the hope. So let's consider the kingdom that we belong to. Is it the Lord's or is it the world's? And for more on that, come on back next week. Let's pray. God, the trade that happened at the cross is so amazing. You, the judge, as it's been said, left the bench and you went to prison instead of us. Lord, that should result in thankfulness. It should result in praise to you. It should result, result in gracious pleading to the people around us. And it should also result in us sleeping soundly knowing that you are the judge, that you will have mercy on who you have mercy and you will harden who you harden. Lord, help us to trust you when that seems crazy. 
when the hardships come and it seems like you're a poor judge, help us to look at you and say, no, perhaps I'm blind, but no, you're a good judge. Lord, when we look around the, at the people around us and we're pleading and we're praying for them and still they say no, help us to remember, you're a judge. We don't save people, you do. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for how much all of this points ahead to the cross. Thank you for the cross that it saves us. And it actually gives us in the midst of such a hard passage to praise you. Because you are the one on the throne. Amen.